I guess they're trying to get someone to call an advisor. I mean, yeah, so yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. that is true. Here's a picture. It gives you no facts. Call the advisor. The further you get down this post, the more you're like, I got to talk to somebody to even know what the heck they're trying to tell me. This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Dougals, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. Well, I mean, first and foremost, I feel like Kanye today. And not even just feel like, I'm just going to call myself Kanye. Uh, it's now yeah. He changed his name, don't you know? No, no, but, but I'm talking about Kanye. I'm talking about like 15, 16 years ago, Kanye spitting it through the wire, man. Getting surgery don't stop me. You know what I mean? Get major, your, major your mouth is not wired shut. Life, I'm talking, not, talking about not wired shut. <laughs> you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand my my struggles right now. <laughs> That's a good album, dude. Did you also drop out of college? Spitting it through the wire, man. This is a lot of drama. Like, I don't, I don't really believe this. We've all had major surgeries, and uh, none of us are going to take as much pleasure out of it as you mm -mm. so they, they finish up i had my i turned 17 this week and got my wisdom teeth taken out as a, oh i thought the hippo laws wouldn't allow us to share that with the listeners look at you but hippo you can share your own ish so <laughs> so uh so we wrap up the surgery right i got all this gauze in my mouth so can't really talk that much they put me into the wheelchair and uh you know uh, my wife's out there waiting before we go through the, the doors leading out to the front, I turn and like, I mean, this is dribble drabble coming out my mouth, but I turned to the, uh, the woman's helped me along. And I was like, we got to make this dramatic. And she goes, well, actually, I think I said, yeah. <laughs> and she goes, what? And so then I, I got all my, you know, sensibilities about me. So we got to make this dramatic opens that door. And I just like slump over the side of the chair with like my, my lip curled down. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just so I could, I could freak her out. She, she knows I'm melodramatic though. So it didn't work quite as well as I wanted it to, but you gotta, you gotta, you gotta take advantage of these opportunities. You going good this, uh, this fine week. Well, hold on. Don't worry about me for a second. How you feeling? Uh, all right. Really tired. I didn't, I didn't consume anything really yesterday. Um, and so I'm tired there and I got some pain going on, but other than that, I mean, this, this pod always gets me fired up, you know? I'm excited for this. There's a fair amount of interest and stuff still going on these days. And crypto seems to continue to rule the world in terms of the conversation about like all the Bitcoin ETFs and everything and Bitcoin all time high. Like, yeah, it, it's just not leaving the human psyche uh, when it comes to financial talk. It's everywhere. Just the, the way the conversation goes will change, but it's going to be there for a bit. You got a place you want to start? Yeah, let's start with the quiz. This should be fun. I know you're a t-shirt guy, right? Like free t-shirt guy, yeah. Free t-shirt guy. So um, this week, a t-shirt sold for the highest price ever. I'll give you a few hints. T-shirts from 1967, and it was auctioned uh, through Sotheby's. Uh, Sotheby's, rather? How do you say that? Something like that. <laughs> Any guesses for how much this thing sold for? Oh, the price is what I'm going for. T-shirt, um, 1.8 million. 
Wow. I mean, we've done a lot of quizzes on the show. That's the furthest you've been off by a significant margin. I guess you just don't have any sense for the t-shirt market since you always get free t-shirts. I get free t-shirts. I figure, because my, my assumption is that all t-shirts are at least $1 million. So I'm not trying to pay that kind of <laughs> $17,640. It's a Grateful Dead t-shirt. Originally designed by a Hell's Angels graphic artist. Oh, okay. And that it was in in the possession of like one of their former drummers or something. I thought that was a ton of money. Maybe it's not in the grand scheme of things. It is, but it's not. 17000 is... I'm not about to pay $17,000 for a t-shirt. So let's just put that out there. But... It's not it's not something that I would assume you have to be 1967 Grateful Dead to also like get to, right? I mean, yeah. we got there Kanye, you know, speaking of my essence uh, that I got going on right now, his shoes are like six figures, right? He's like, come out with shoes that cost that much. And so I know t-shirt shoes are different, but it's just that's just like a drop. You know what I mean? So I kind of thought if it was an NFT, it would have been millions. No, actually, that's the best point. That's exactly what I was going to say. Like, this would be uh, three million bucks if it's an NFT. It'd be like four hundred ether or something. There it is. Yeah. Oh my goodness! All right, what's up? On your end. Before we get into the world at large, can I discuss some uh, something that's that's come up? So there are questions that have come up around this previously from listener mail, and so wanted to highlight a internet drop that peeps are going to be able to, once this airs, people are going to be able to, able to see on um, the spider tubes. And that is talking about specifically the, uh, the holdings that one Dougal's has the questions that have come up been like, what do we have? What's our track record, right? We've, people have asked that type of stuff before. Um, so putting out on the skippyanddougals.substack.com, you'll be able to see a couple different things that are going to drop. Uh, one is the, the thought process behind my model, which I've called Farfin, because why the heck not? And then the uh, also just an update on this quarter's uh, portfolio results. Um, so go out there, check it out. You can see entire portfolio. None of this is ever investment advice. In fact, on there, it will like say very much so that I'll, I'll talk specifically to um, to my method of investing. It's pretty aggressive, yeah. Um, fairly concentrated. That doesn't fit the uh, the needs of most folks. They have that doesn't fit the psychology of most folks, but Want to put that out there so listeners can get a like a tangible take. This is really good though. I'd uh, I'd really encourage anyone that's interested to check it out because not only do you do like the walk down the walkthrough of kind of how your investor methodology evolved, like why you ended up where you ended up, uh, the pros and cons of that, some modeling around that. I thought it was really good. Um, Dougals can write. Get ready. Get ready, guys. Enjoy that. Yeah, I mean your current portfolio holdings. What what's your top holding? Thirty ish, forty ish percent. XCOM, yeah. It's thirty nine point seven percent as of the end of last quarter. Thirty nine point seven percent of the portfolio. I mean, that's that's something there, Dougals. It is. It is. It's something. It is something. So yeah, yeah. check it out. And my top well, uh, top ten are like a little over eighty percent. So but I bought, I mentioned this in there. Uh, last year, between March and like the endish of the year, a little bit bleeding into 2021, bought a whole bunch. I'm usually not that active, and so yeah. But between that period, went and bought a lot, and so my total portfolio is somewhere around 50 holdings right now, um, which is more than twice like what it's ever kind of maxed out <laughs> at. I think, but uh, 
But what's what's interesting there is that there's still so much concentration up top. So a lot of that is like a bunch of micro bets that kind of add up to that last 20%, but top 10 holdings are about 80, a little over 80%. Yeah, no, I definitely, that long tail, like off to the right side of your portfolio, those uh, 40-ish bets that only make up 20% of the portfolio is really interesting to me. Uh, that typically doesn't happen the way I invest and rebalance. Was the thought there that those are just like asymmetric outs, upside bets or is it things where some of those uh, started as a larger bet and have fallen off? How, how did you end up with like that long tail? Yeah, it's a mix of a few different things. For the most part is I had, you probably remember we were talking about this early 2020, like before the pandemic, you know, kind of hit the markets, how I had a good amount sitting in cash. Mm -hmm. Like there was... Uh, there was a good amount of portfolio sitting in cash. And so there's a, there are a number of these that I just saw as, I'd say, semi-asymmetric, like not huge. Like because of the bets that I'm making, I saw some that could double, triple, right? Like that kind of returns. Yeah. But they're still a small part of my portfolio. So it wasn't like asymmetric for my portfolio type of bets. But I was sitting in a good amount of cash because I, I wasn't sure where the market was going to go. Like I was trying to fill that out for myself. And so a number of these are an alternative to cash, which seems weird because you go from like safety to equities like aggressively but that's where a number of them came from i was like this seems like a pretty safe place right now because there were stocks that had dropped off by 70 80 percent and had outperformed the s&p or the market overall by like 3x over the previous five years so i was just kind of like i was sitting there i think for the most part and so um as i mentioned in there uh, my plan is actually to to divulge uh divulge that is not the right word divest there we go i'm not revealing I'm not revealing. I'm getting rid of the vast majority of them in the next like four or five months. So I mean, as I hit the year, then I have price targets that I set for them. And so they'll sell off. So they're not long-term holdings uh, for the most part by any means, but that's where we're sitting. So yeah, give it a read. It's interesting as to uh, the, what people have asked about. So I hope that this is interesting uh, for people to look through, but give it a whirl. Yeah. I thought it was really well done. Um, and it's awesome of you to be willing to share that. So send the send feedback our way. We have talked about maybe early in the year doing a deep dive on to both of our portfolios. Uh, there seems to be some listener interest for that. Um, again, though, we straddle this line of not giving investment advice, but wanting to be transparent about the methodologies that work for us. So uh, we're, we're learning the best path forward here, and uh, we'll take all the feedback we can get. Thank you. Again, uh, Skippy and Dougals, all spelled out, .substack.com. All right, fishbowl. Yeah, let's go. Should we let's let's wrap up one uh, loose end somewhat quickly and then we can kind of go into some other things. So okay. this week it came out that Jerome Powell, chairman of the Fed in the United States of America, also has been doing some trading um, recently. And so that came out not in individual stocks, but there were a couple big purchases that, that were in uh, market funds. So that came out and the Fed is now saying, OK, for release, we're going to get stricter. On our guidelines. Yeah. We talked about that previously, how there were a couple, uh, I think it was Dallas and Minneapolis, I believe, if I remember correctly, yep. Yep. Um, they come out, a few other things that come out. And so just to kind of wrap up that little, maybe not wrap up fully, but go back to that that thread. It's a bad look, but I'll, I'll tell you, at least it's not individual stocks. That, yeah. that gets me less fired up. It's still a bad look when we manipulate the markets with the Fed more than we ever have. I mean, especially in the last like 30 years and it just feels like, and uh, 
Dougal's to your point earlier, like all these people seem to be multimillionaires. <laughs> like, yeah, it just seems like, oh, hey, I I really need an extra two million bucks. I don't care if I'm if I have insider information or if I'm actually manipulating the funds that I'm buying because uh, I'm in the world's most unique position uh, <laughs> to do something like this. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that Powell had been in uh, like investment banking for so long. Like that was his career. I didn't realize it. I didn't, I've never really looked back too much in his career. Yeah, thanks for putting a bow on that. Uh, let me grab one thing from the fishbowl, actually. The guys at Euclidean, which is a value investing shop that uses machine learning uh, to pick their holdings, yeah. had a really nice article this week called Value Investing is a Hedge Against Inflation. Really simple. The The main chart here sits with a scatter plot of uh, returns on the... Um, y-axis versus inflation on the x-axis and has a nice little linear regression that shows as inflation goes up historically the returns of uh, value picks have gone up so it's a good read it's on the euclidean website if you guys want to check it out but um, definitely worth mentioning i i haven't read this so this has nothing to do with the euclidean piece what i'm about to say but i got a question for you yeah maybe it's a statement with enough of a british inflection at the end to sound like a question oh james mcintosh <laughs> no, 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 no. Come on now. We've actually had multiple people. Yeah, William the, Green. Come on. Yeah, exactly. So it seems like to me, if you created like a mad lib, I just said value investing is a hedge for, and then at the end, I feel like you just replace whatever's going on. I just feel like people just replace that last word and then there's some chart that shows. Oh, it. no, th- that's not people. That's me. Value investing is the solve for all your problems, Dougal. <laughs> I thought you represent the people. No, it's the prescription. Like, whatever. It's like the Tylenol of your investing woes. Like, just take some Tylenol, rub some dirt on it. Let's go. I I feel like it was like, I don't know, two years ago, Taylor Swift drops a new album and you're like, did you know that value investing tends to outperform after a new Taylor Swift album? That's actually really true. Um, Although the the R squared on that is weak. But... Uh, yeah, so actually, let's bring it up since you like to throw shade and uh, investing generally, investing in equities is a pretty good hedge against inflation. So I'm not sure that this particular take is doing anything revolutionary. If prices are climbing rapidly, holding cash gets to be a very bad decision because your purchasing power erodes quickly. And if your cash is invested in something that has pricing power, then they can increase their revenues, which ultimately increases their profit, which causes the typical profitable equity to grow at a rate that at least matches inflation in most cases. So yeah, that's worth saying. Keep throwing shade, keep sending Mad Lib examples my way, but I'm going to roll with value. Okay, I'm going to, let's go fishbowl quiz for a second to go into another topic. You ready for this? Yeah. What this week, I'm rounding up a little bit, but 10 x its performance with a whole bunch of nonsense. Oh, the the world's... Wait, I got to make sure I say this correctly. Truth Social, but also Truth TV, and also Truth Web Services. What else am I missing, Daniels? <laughs> You're missing nearly everything. So this is... This is the... No, no, I'm just... I, I, you hit a lot of it. I'm just saying there's so much more. Like, there's a long tail of it is what I meant by that. So there's this uh, self-proclaimed mission-driven organization that is being acquired by SPAC this week. 
the SPAC uh, is what is what 10x nearly 10x in price yeah. and it's a digital world acquisition corporation DWAC yes DWAC the SPAC uh is is what it's commonly known as on this on the wall streets yeah that's and, what it gets traded at on this uh, the street it's like drug dealing yeah exactly so it looks like there's an agreement for this back to purchase uh trump's social media empire i'll say um, empires usually are built on something this one is a self-proclaimed empire that is well built on a deck so far which was it's enjoyable and who knows where these things turn out and so i'm not trying to say this is going to do well or not going to do well but what i am trying to say is it's amusing in the process that's what i'm going to say so i want to drop a couple things from this pitch deck yeah so one, they have, a, they have a slide that is titled Corporate Competitive Structure. Um, so at the top of this, let me, let me just make sure I get all my details right. Okay. So at the top of this uh, is like the empire, the emblem of the empire. And then it goes into a few different little, mm-hmm. I don't know, operating companies. One is True Social. True Social, I'm going to say it right here, right now, you heard it here, third, <laughs> is going to be the future Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. Okay. All right. Boom. Done. Conquered. So just like two of the largest social media companies, we're just going to take those down. Hundreds of millions yeah. of users. We got it. We got this. Yeah. Next, you've got the incredibly uniquely named TMTG yeah. Plus. Because you got if you add the plus. <laughs> then it's a media company. Then it's a media company. So now we, we're not good with hundreds of millions. What are we going to do? Add on some more. Oh, hundreds of millions. Take down Netflix, baby. Yeah. Not just Netflix. Why would you stop at Netflix? Okay, good point. Disney Plus, a, like a legitimate media empire. So we're going to take down Disney Plus and Netflix. All right. So, so then you're like, I mean, I'm sitting there. If I was sitting there in the strategy meeting, I go, man, you know, I thought we were ambitious when we were talking about Facebook and Twitter. I thought we were ambitious. But now, now I know we're, we're out of our skis. We're talking about Netflix and Disney Plus. But you know what? Let's hunker down. Let's do this. No, no, no. I've only talked about the left hand of this slide. Yeah, okay. yeah, we're halfway through, right? Yeah, we're half. Are we even <laughs> halfway through? So now, where are we going to be without news? So now we're going to take down iHeartMedia and CNN. Okay, this at least you you can say what you will about this part. It's ambitious, you know. You got to be in these pitch decks. You got to go after it, and news makes sense given that. So we got Twitter, we got Facebook, we got Netflix, we got Disney Plus, we got CNN, we got iHeartRadio. I'm not exactly yeah. sure what the corporate competencies are here, but we can do this. We can do this, but why stop when there's still more internet to take over? No, because you don't want someone to be able to take down your video streaming platform or your social network platform. You got to own the bones, the foundation to that, right? And I I am 116.7% sure that that's the way the conversation went, is that someone's like, even if we did this, we got to push back against... Yeah, like yeah. The, the, the core infrastructure of what didn't allow us to do this before, right? And so why don't we just rebuild AWS? Why don't we just rebuild Google Cloud? Why don't we just rebuild Azure, right? All Microsoft of them. One. All well, of let's them. just do that. Let's just do that. And then somebody said, not enough, because we got to be able to collect payments. Wait, there's more than that? Yes. There's literally more than we that. We got to be able to collect payments. So someone went, okay, well, how are we going to collect payments? Why don't we just rebuild Stripe? Oh my goodness. So if you this if you is the take, whole internet. Yeah. If you take just you take Facebook, I'm going to talk from like a market cap perspective. I don't have the exact numbers, but you'll know this is close enough. You yeah. take Facebook, you take Netflix, you take Amazon and Google. 
like if you take those orgs and these aren't the holes of those the oh and microsoft oh yeah i forgot just a, and, yeah, that little player. and on twitter i mean that's something like 25 percent of the of the s p 500 market cap and then stripe is not yet public but valued at roughly 100 billion dollars as a private entity um <laughs> this is and i'm sure I, I don't i don't even know if there's like a I can't remember if there's like a people section to this deck, but I bet there's like no technologists. Well, there, you know I mean? there's like one. I, there's one dude. I think there's the CEO. Ned in the corner. Okay, can I just this, my my fact checks are gonna be loose because I was not interested in this this week. But no, I think the actually, CEO. Be, before you do, before you yeah. do, I forgot the creme la creme. Sorry, before you do, there's always that question of like what what makes you able to do this. Yeah. Two proof points. To show like the history of success and being able to accomplish things like this, the Apprentice and Miss Universe—that is that is what was thrown out. All right, okay, so sorry. I I try to never talk politics, uh, or very rarely because I don't want to get anyone in trouble. This is it's kind of hilarious, but what it reminds me of, I do mentoring at the local college, right? And sometimes you get these presentations that are like outlandish in terms of their expectations or not understanding how complex some of these challenges are like and at the college level it might be like oh we're gonna do airbnb for x and you go do you understand how challenging that is i've never seen someone be like <laughs> we're gonna rebuild the entire internet um but what's fascinating about this let me try and bring like some some intellectual conversation so Sam Bankman Freed is the founder of FTX, which is a cryptocurrency exchange. And he was, he was on with Patrick O'Shaughnessy this week. He made this brilliant point that solves like half of the issues for this Trump organization. He says, and Jack Dorsey has said this in the past as well, that the future of social networks is a decentralized blockchain. Now, Dude goes, I want, just want you to read initial reaction i bet you think that's a stupid idea uh i don't think it's a stupid idea and when those folks say something there's there's a there there to what they're saying whether or not it ends up being the end game i don't think it's a stupid idea um i i think that the well no so listen so it takes away that having to rebuild google cloud or amazon web services piece so his point is if it if you have a public decentralized blockchain that is a social network what that means is because it's public, Twitter could tie into that feed and pull down social, like pull down activity. Facebook could pull, go to the same feed and pull down activity. Basically, you could create this central foundation that each of the platforms could tie into. And then when Twitter says, I want to ban this content, the person who thinks Twitter is overreaching goes back to the public blockchain and says, okay. I don't trust Twitter's content management anymore. I go straight to the source. It's a very interesting idea, isn't it? I think a lot of ideas are interesting. Um, in in the the theoretical of this is very hard to to bring into reality. When we were we were discussing a version of uh, Chris Dixon coming out from A16Z yeah. coming out and talking about some of this too, and I think the where he was going with it was the idea that uh, you can finance your the building of your platform exactly. via blockchain you could with tokens yeah 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 that that i start to kind of catch on to a bit i think that there, there's like something there but when you when you ask the question of what is at the core today 
of the success of something like an AWS and a Google, there's so much more and a Google, like Google Cloud, there's so much more than than what's being thrown out there. And the attempts that I've seen of creating uh, something that's decentralized for something this large haven't come to fruition. That doesn't mean that they won't. It's just that I think that there's a there's always a strong use case, which we've also discussed before, that you have to have in order to, to get it over the very, very, very big hump, right? That ends up coming from decentralization. And the attempts I'm talking about are things like a decentralized uh, um, internet, like for people to use, for example, it's like, uh, we're going to tap into everyone's computers in in the U.S. in order to use, you know, the, the relative bandwidth, that kind of thing is just, yeah. you can't, re- it's not reliable enough um, because of decentralization. So there's a lot to figure out there, but I don't want to dismiss the whole thing. Like there's a lot of intelligence behind it. Yeah, but so you said the SPAC went up 10 times this week. I wish I had the market cap in front Extrapolate of me. Extrapolate that. I don't know what the goal is here because as you mentioned, the deck is so wide ranging that it's like it's like the scope is so large there's actually no scope but i'll tell you if the idea here is to build a social network that cannot be censored i think blockchain is the right technology for that and i think they could do a a coin offering where the true trump supporters would send them millions of dollars almost overnight which would give them a technology budget to build on which then you'd have the foundation of a social network that cannot be censored that is truly public and truly decentralized. And I think if that is the true goal, you could accomplish that uh, more quickly, more efficiently, and and actually reward your backers in a much better way. Yeah, the altruism behind that, I think is partially what makes it like difficult. I agree with you. By the way, this is, uh, I agree with you for, like that it would be faster that way. The market cap of this is now $3.4 billion, um, the SPAC. Trump, as a, I'm, let's get away from anything political. This is just like, I'm talking about his superpower. Like Trump's yeah, yeah. superpower is the ability to galvanize individuals and organizations even in a way that gives him money. That is his superpower, like, which is very different than having a superpower that allows you to accomplish something, right? The, the execution of something like this, you're right, can the fastest way to do it, the most effective way to do it would be on something like blockchain. But when you say the proof is in the pudding and the pudding is Miss Universe. Yeah, yeah, you just, I, you got me like fired up this morning and I kind of forgot things. I was uh, building a business case to actually build a product. He has no desire to actually build a product, huh? It's just about raising money. Yeah, just about raising money. Wow, that's a little depressing. Okay, so let me ask you one last thing on this topic. Yeah. is Because uh, I went back and forth this week, actually. Is this a good investment or not? It was on Monday. What, what I mean there is if you know that... There's going to be some money behind this that has blind faith to continue to put potentially continue to put money in. Can you read the supply demand narrative? And I think it's too late for this, but it it may not be too late. But here's the thing with uh, with with the people that have the superpower that Trump has. Generally, they're great investments. So long as you have inside information to understand when to get out, because there will be an exit point. This could go up another 10x. And like I might, I don't think I'd be all that surprised because of the power that's held there. 
but it's like, it's going to be 10 X in one direction and hundred percent in the opposite direction, like is maybe not hundred percent, but I, you know, that that's the, that's the trajectory. And so, so long as you're the one that can send the, the Slack message, right. As the president of Robinhood <laughs> did to say like, Oh, FYI tomorrow, this is what's happening. Then you're golden. And so for, for multimillionaires, you know, and billionaires that are getting involved here, I think they're going to do great. Yeah. And actually I want to revise my question because this is not an investment in any way, shape or form. I mean, it, I really meant, is this a dress in speculation? Because that's, yeah, I agree with you that long-term, I think the chances of this SPAC being worth anything are basically zero because there's no, there's no company there and you need a company to generate cash. What did Warren Buffet say about when people get greedy? <laughs> You can't do that on the pod. Don't disrespect <laughs> Warren Buffett like that. <laughs> I, I don't know. What did you say? When people get greedy, you get fearful. Like When people get greedy. It's, oh, we're in prime greed right now. Uh, speaking of uh, greed and uh, and silliness for a sec, uh, can I go back to like just a little, little personal uh, playtime uh, that Dougal's had this week? In the market, okay. yeah, but I think I'm sending the world's most massive disclaimer that uh, Dougal's behavior here is um, borderline idiotic. I'm not trying to use like big words, but do not do this. This is a horrible idea, in my opinion. Yeah, so I decided to do some long term investing and invest in value stocks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, goodbye, no. Diggles. Well, yeah. goodbye. You got some UVV. <laughs> um, so no, I'm joking about that. So uh, there's there's a conversation that Skippy and I have been having for a bit. We haven't had it directly uh, on the pod yet, but maybe later this year we will. I have this uh, this market type top proxy that I built, um, and I have a feeling, and Skippy's going to go, he's going to dig into this too, but I have a feeling it's going to go off or it has a strong potential to go off the beginning of next year. So something I've been thinking a lot about is, how do I want to play this? Do I want to play this? I've been looking at things like inverse funds, et cetera. And one of the things I'm considering doing is, is buying put options against the market uh, if this goes off next year. So anyway, so that, that's, some, that's some background context. He's covering his face out of excitement about this. So, so that, that's one of the thought processes that I have. But so I've, I've been in the, I'd say the private options world for a while. Um, I've been in six startups. I've got my, my Carta portfolio where I've got exercised options or some unexercised options for a whole bunch of startups. So like options in that world, I've touched before, but I've never bought options for the reasons that Skippy stated earlier, the high level thematic reason of like silliness. I haven't bought options on the public markets. And I just kind of said, if I'm going to be in a world in a few months, potentially, where I'm going to be buying a solid amount of my portfolio and options, let me just make sure I, I get how the mechanics work. Um, I've stu I studied finance in college. I've done like Black Scholes stuff. I've done all the academic side of options, but I've never bought them in the public market. So, yeah. I so I did a couple like tiny purchases, and when I say tiny, I mean um, in total these buys were 0.05% of my portfolio. So it was just like dabbling, literally, to see to make sure I get the mechanics and make sure like the models that I've uh, I put out there work. And I tell you, it took me. So I think I I picked them up on Monday or Tuesday. Um, I bought one, a few contracts um, for for one company for calls, for a call, and then a few for the puts. And so that means for one, I was buying, betting it's going to go up. For the put, buying, buying the option to sell, right? Betting that the stock's going to go down. So that, that's what I bought. 
within 24 to 48 hours, I just went, nearly no one should be allowed to buy options. Like was my takeaway. This is, uh, it, it's, it, I can see the potential of this one being so addictive. Yes. And if it's so easy and the swings are massive. Yes. I, so there was on one of, one of the options, it was down. So it was up on like Wednesday. It was up like 40% on Thursday down like 65% yesterday doubled. And I was, just, I'm just like, this is, this is a whole world that it's, it's just, that's just gambling. Like it's the, just and, gambling. And people that are professional investors that do options for living, have all their models. I'm not talking about you. I don't know. Right. Cause that's, it's not my world. I'm not talking about you, but I'm saying the everyday retail investor having access to these. No, yeah. oh my okay. Goodness. Let's no, don't, don't give the professionals, the so-called professionals a pass. There's, I'm sure there's more than one. There might be 10. There's one person I'm aware of that has done this well. And it's Edward Thorpe. Am I missing yeah, anybody who, else who invented I mean, black Scholes formula? Before yeah. Like who is so much Scholes. smarter than it's like me and Dougal's a thousand of our best friends times a million. That's Edward Thorpe's intelligence. All right. It, this is a terrible. And it, I, okay. Maybe it's not a terrible idea. This is gambling. It's not investing like just flat out. So if you want to go to the casino, go to the casino or go to Vegas, a Dougal's favorite. Dougal's actually, since you love Vegas so much and you think options are crazy, like I'm a little surprised. That tells me all I need to know. It does. But that, that's part of the purpose is look, so I, I step onto an Aro plane. I get off yep. of that same plane in Las Vegas. I have like my gambling money that I want to play around with. And then I get back onto the airplane. I get back home. You and disconnect. That's, that's the world. Yeah. I disconnect. You can and, compartmentalize. That's a big deal. In yeah, terms of the gambling mindset, right? This, I mean, I knew that these were gambles, right? One of my contracts is up next Friday and the other one is up sometime in November, right? And so like, what's going to happen with this stock in a week? Who the heck knows, right? And I'm just like, let, let's just kind of play around with it. So I know that, but those swings, oh my goodness. And that's the other reason is I, I want, this is my, my investing life is compartmentalized and is different. And even the options I'm potentially talking about that you, sh you shake your head about, in yeah. um uh potentially early next year that is it's very calculated and i'm i've been talking about and debating it for months still <laughs> right i mean mm -hmm. that's a that's a different world whether it's a good idea or not you know time will tell we'll see but this is i just went i gotta separate those two worlds when i sit at a poker table i sit at a poker table when i'm looking at stocks and whatnot that is not my poker table so anyway caution to the world if you think about options i would say Think again, or at least know what the heck you're getting into, because these swings. It was, but let me let me be honest. It was a little fun. It was a little fun, but that's not that's not how I play around in the investing world. So, oh man, um, yeah, that that makes me a little sad. But I understand you had to scratch the itch. Uh, for the record, I am 100% against this idea. I want to talk about the. We'll turn this into a quiz. I want to talk about the. Gap in expected services between services received for financial advisors. So when people start a relationship with a financial advisor, what are like the, the core things you think they're looking for, Dougal? They want someone to be able to take their personal situation and map that to 
um, what the, the potential options are, where they can put their money so that they can have a nice return over the long run, generally. I think that's what they go in with. Their definition of long run may be different, but I think that's what they go in with. Yeah. How about like broad categories in terms of like investment management? Oh, like that. Planning, like, like what is yeah, just like, the, I'd, like, I'd say tax support, um, investment management, including like fixed incomes, equities, that kind of stuff. Probably more day to day, like budgeting. Um, how should I, like, where should I put my money for this year? That's not necessarily uh, investing, those kinds of things. Nice. So uh, what, what they really want, I'll give you top three or four, financial planning, wealth transfer advice, investment management, trust services, uh, taxes is up there as well. Um, and then it goes into less people want like life insurance advice and uh, real estate advice and those sort of things. Here's what they get. They get investment management and a little financial planning almost no wealth transfer advice, almost no estate planning advice, and almost no tax planning advice. Is that a switch of like once they actually create the relationship, what they ask for? Or is that a bait and switch on the side of the financial advisor? I don't think there's ill intent here. I think it's, I think it's that, that both sides aren't necessarily having that conversation. There's not like a Mm. A service agreement in place that says for X amount a year, and there's a reason for that because the the pricing is sometimes um, hidden from the customer in a way. If you're taking a percent of their assets, that's not always crystal clear to them. But I that's where I took this is it could just be you could be more transparent about the scope of the services that the financial advisor is offering, and then on the client side, more transparent about your expectations for what you hope to receive for that because there's definitely a gap here. Basically the only thing that people seem to agree upon is the financial planning advice and the investment management. The rest, most advisors appear to be doing a very poor job of providing. How is the, uh, the expectation question phrased? Does it show that? I'm looking at a summary here. Uh, this came from advisorpedia.com and I don't have that answer immediately in front of me i'm wondering if it's something if it's a backward looking of what did you expect when you were right and people are also thinking what have i needed since then and check all that apply true or is it like while you're signing up for a service what do you expect to get from this service like looking forward curious about that yeah it's not crystal clear the article i'm reading does not break down the actual questions it's a it's the gap between services expected so i'd assume that's before uh starting the relationship and then services actually received i think that that gap on my side goes in the opposite direction like there are expectations for what financial advisors want to give me and all i ask for is tax advice <laughs> that's the <laughs> that's the only thing what uh there's like pitching of all this other stuff like let's walk through and i was like no i'm i'm good with that but can you let me know <laughs> about about the tax advice so that's all i go for i mean so why aren't you leaning on a cpa or someone else i think a financial advisor is probably the wrong place to go if you only need tax advice no that, that's the that's pretty much it's like because they have their suite of services and so i just yeah. work with a cpa but then it's like well what about these things you know we can also it's like i know all of this did you know i could also right is what i say <laughs> Oh, oh! I got one last uh, fishbowl item for you. Okay. 
Uh, this is something you sent over to me, and I, I think that the questions in are interesting since we're talking, let's say, broad strokes investment stuff today. Uh, so what you sent to me were key questions for long-term investors. Um, it's on dimensional.com, financial advising firm that's been around for about 40 years. So I'm going to just, I'm going to hit the questions themselves. So I think the questions are interesting. And in fact, I think the questions are more interesting than some of the answers yeah. in here, but I think that, but the questions are interesting. So here are the questions. One, what sort of competition do I face as an investor? That gets into like how easy or hard is it for the individual investor to be able to do their thing? Two, what are my chances of picking an investment fund that survives and outperforms? This one, I, I thought the, the answer had a little bit of interest in it, but we'll come back. Three, if I choose a fund because of strong past performance, does that mean it will do well in the future? We all know the answer to that one. Four, <laughs> do, I have to out, do I have to outsmart the market to be a successful investor? This one actually kind of talks against themselves, I thought, but we'll get back to that one too. Five, is there a better way to build a portfolio? Six, is international investing for me? Seven, will making frequent changes to my portfolio help me achieve investment success? Their answer here had nothing to do with the question, by the way, I thought, which was kind of fascinating. Uh, eight, can my emotions affect my investment decisions? Nine, should I make changes to my portfolio based on what I'm hearing in the news? And 10, so what should I be doing? That's the sales <laughs> and then, pitch. And then it says, yeah, call it advisor. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there is some, some good, uh, not all of this is like uh, amazing, but there is some good stuff here. And most of those, I would hope the listeners had an easy yes, no answer to, because most of those questions are pretty obvious. You think, but it's the, where, where some of the root of this kind of comes down to, we've talked about this so much in the pod is when it gets down to the question of, can my emotions affect my investment decisions? Yeah. And what I think is interesting, like the, the lens that I, I kind of took on this is if you put yourself in that emotional place and then you ask the other questions to yourself, the yes or no becomes less obvious and that's hard to do, right? You can't necessarily put yourself in that that position, but it's kind of like when, when everything's up and to the right or everything's placid, you're in peace times, right? I think there are more obvious yes or no's to hear when you're in war times, right? I've got, I mentioned, uh, that the quarterly post earlier, right? Quarterly portfolio post earlier that I mentioned and showed tall, which we talked about here is down 93%. I still hold that thing, right? That's war times when you're sitting yeah. in your tall type situation, then ask yourself the question of what sort of a competition do I, do I face? Like, how good am I at picking individual stocks? How will my emotions impact? Do I have to outsmart? Like, start to ask yourself those questions then. That's, that's one psychological piece I found interesting. I love it um, because, you know, I'm going back to the William Green interview where if you're uh, hungry or tired or stressed, you make poor decisions, right? And yep. so, um, to me, these questions are almost all of them are really easy. Yes, no, but I'm in a relaxed, uh, long-term investing mindset, right? So like, do I have to outsmart the market to be successful as an investor? No. Um, I like to think I'd say no in all, all times. Um, if I choose a pro fund based on top, uh, strong past performance, does that mean it will do well in the future? 
uh, more likely than not, the answer to that is no. Almost never does the outperformance continue. And they had a couple stats on that. Yeah. Too. 21% of top-ranked funds remain in the, the top quartile, so top 25%, five years later. So you have about an 80% chance of that being no for equity funds. Exactly, which is massive. Also, what are my chances of picking an investment from the fund that survives and outperforms? So in the beginning of 2001, let's call it 20 years ago, there were basically 3,000 equity funds to start that time frame. Only 41% of those have survived and only 19% of those have outperformed. It's massive. <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't it's overwhelming. It doesn't have it. Yeah. It's like, it, that's not, we can, good. I don't know if we've put this out on the Twitter, but we should, it's a, it, it's an interesting, pretty short, uh, read fly through it. Um, again, I think the questions to me were more impressive than some of the answers, but it almost felt like they started to get, uh, to quote William green hungry, tired, et cetera, during the article. Cause the first, like the first three questions, <laughs> The answer is really interesting. And then it was kind of, uh, I don't know if they switched analysts or what, but uh started getting a little less so, but it's worth reading. So I think you skipped question six. It Did says, I? is international investing for me? Like, how could it not be for you? <laughs> you want to hold like the third most expensive stock market in the world exclusively because what, America? Like... <laughs> And yes, absolutely what you're saying. And this is this is part of where I said, like, the answers really started to get a little before this less interesting because they didn't even say that. Like, that is like a reasonable thing to throw out. What it says is the S&P 500 index in the U.S. has about 505 stocks. If you go across the world, there's almost 9,000 stocks. And yeah. like, like what, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what's like, there's the graph I always put out uh, from the JP Morgan uh, oh, yearly equity, I forget what it's called, but but they do a big like 200 breakdown and they show returns of international stocks versus returns of uh, US stocks. And it's cyclical, obviously. And the US is on about the longest run of outperformance that's ever happened. Well, what what's about to change? Show a graph like that or something that explains how diversification internationally can be beneficial for you. Don't just say, oh, one has 500 stocks and one has 9,000 <laughs> stocks. Like it's the most pointless nonsense. But I guess they're trying to get someone to call an advisor. I mean, yeah, so yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. that is true. Here's a picture. It gives you no facts. Call the advisor. The further you get down this post, the more you're like, I got to talk to somebody to even know what the <laughs> heck they're trying to tell me. <laughs> I, that's you nailed it this is like brilliantly done we, we, it just took us a while to figure out what's happening here. <laughs> yeah then i didn't mean to, to dog on this i do think it's worth a read so we should put it out there yeah i'll put it on the twitter all right we're wrapping we're wrapping but i haven't done this in a while i need to give a few shout outs special shout out to our canadian listeners guatemala is still holding strong Diggles. We we are charting in Guatemala, which I love. And then Switzerland's coming out of nowhere. Love that too. Because we, of all the all the banking. Banking tax haven oh, talk we've got I going see. on probably. Yeah. We we now have downloads in four different countries in Africa. This makes me so proud. That's nice. Um, I love it. 
so shout out we appreciate you guys listening we have fun with it and uh and we really love the listener mail in the community so you can hit us on twitter at skippy Dougals, on substack at skippy and Dougals. is that right yep skippy and doogles.substack.com uh, uh skippy Dougals at gmail we love uh uh ratings on itunes uh they help more people hear the show uh have a great one thank you